I'm Kimberly Elaine, and you're listening to The Kimberly Elaine Show, a podcast where I truly believe everyone has a story to tell. I want you to live a life where you know your story matters and to live your most beautiful life. I interview people who I am inspired by and can tell their story with the world. I also share with you my own personal journeys because I believe that healing and truth comes if we share from within. I am so glad that you are here, so please get comfortable and get ready to enjoy the show. This is a trigger warning that this episode contains mention of suicide, chronic illness, pain, and depression. If any of these are triggering to you, please be careful. But if you still feel comfortable listening, I hope that you enjoy the show and take care of yourself. I am in- excited to introduce you to not only a friend of mine, but an avid listener of the show, the brilliant and talented Corey Frittlewitz, an exceptional blogger for their website, Corey.us, a coder, gamer, and a dog parent that wants to live a life of transparency and wears their heart on their sleeve. The dedication to wearing their heart on their sleeve and living a life of transparency is one of their most beautiful qualities. They are passionate about accessibility, equity, and art. Corey uses they, them pronouns. And without further ado, let's welcome Corey to the show. Thank you so much, Corey, for being here. Hi. Thanks. Huh? It's Hi. Welcome. Thanks for being you here. I thought that I'd be interesting enough to uh, interview. <laughs> Absolutely. I am super excited. And let's just start off by like, what's your story, your background? I'd love to, we'd love to know more about you. Um, okay. Uh, I live in the San Francisco Bay area. I moved here after uh, growing up in New Jersey and going to college there for multimedia arts type stuff. I wanted to design video games when I was a kid. Um, and I still wish I could do that, but capitalism ruined video games. So kind of made mm-hmm. that industry not fun to work in anymore. But anyway, so I, I started in New Jersey. I transferred schools to Phoenix, Arizona in pursuit of that dream to go to a specialized school for video game design and mm-hmm. uh, graduated from there. Had a lot of trouble in the video game industry, finding jobs that would treat me decently and uh, keep people around for longer than one project and stuff like that. That's still a problem in the gaming industry. So um, moved around a lot, changed jobs a lot, uh, moved all over the country, moved to Las Vegas, Tucson, um, Maryland, before I was able to get out here to San Francisco, which is where I plan on staying. I love it here. Um, Wow. uh, Now I work for... Uh, a local fashion company, The the Gap, um, right. and I work on their websites. It's uh, It uses a lot of the same skills that I learned for game design, and I'm sorry if you can hear my dog working something right <laughs> in the background, because he just Hi, really buddy. wants to... Yeah, he really wants to walk right over to me whenever I'm talking on a meeting or anything so that he can get right next to the microphone when he's doing that stuff. He's really, he's really cool like that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so now I work from home. I'm a coder uh, and a manager mostly. And um, yeah, I, I 
blog, um, as you mentioned, about things that for my entire life, my uh, parents and other folks told me that I probably shouldn't put out there on the internet, and I still haven't stopped. <laughs> Aww, that is so exciting. I love that, you know, you are were into video games and you kind of want to pursue that road, and it's sad that you weren't able to focus on that, but it's exciting that you're a blogger now and you're in a place that you love. Is I'm guessing, you know, the Bay Area is probably your favorite place you've been. Am I assuming wrong? It's my favorite place I've lived in, that's for sure. Um, if I could be any place, I, I really love uh, Japan. I'm a, I've been there twice. What's your favorite thing about like the bay area that you've lived there now oh yeah um i feel like i fit here um i whenever i go back home to new jersey to visit family or whenever i travel around the country i feel like i have to guard myself a bit i mm -hmm. i can't wear the clothes i mean it's not that i can't wear them it's just that i get stared at um like i can i can't wear the clothes that i wear just freely here and people either compliment me or ignore me um mm -hmm. i have wild colored hair and I've had that since I was about 15 and I used to have to um, either change that or um, do it kind of low-key in order to get a job or in order to um, not be stared at or made fun of or whatever mm -hmm. else anywhere else um, and in the Bay Area I, I fit in with all the other freaks out here oh <laughs> I'm so glad that you can be yourself and to express yourself and and everything that entails, you know, it's so it's so important for people to feel comfortable in their own skin. And I know that we've talked about, you know, when during your introduction, we've mentioned like, you know, you using they them pronouns, I would love to dive more into that if that's comfortable for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, th throughout, throughout my entire life, and I wrote a huge blog post and probably a couple follow ups by now uh, about this on my blog, if anyone's interested in seeing like the, all the details, but basically throughout my entire life, I've never really felt uh, like I wanted to be a boy or a man. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, while I when I was little, I would fantasize about like, man, it'd be nice to be a girl. Uh, then I would be friends with girls and go through my teenage years with girls who were going through puberty at the same time as I was. And I'd be like, I don't really want to do that either. <laughs> um, <laughs> that that also sounds tough for different reasons. Um, in, in my personal opinion, for harder reasons, I do think it's harder to be a girl than a boy. Um, but uh I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I've read a bunch of books about trans folk who have uh, made the transition and seen both perspectives from, I mean, at different points in their lives, obviously no one can grow up as both um, in parallel, but uh, it doesn't seem like it's, it doesn't seem like it's easier. I'll just say that. Um, and when I think about things, there was something that I was a conversation I had with a friend um, when I was, I've only come out as non-binary uh, last year, so it's, it hasn't been very long. And one of the conversations that kind of made me finally decide that I should stop dancing around the subject and creating all of these like exceptions for whatever I wanted to label myself as, um, I was talking to a friend who was uh, a trans person that uh, said like, well, if you had infinite resources, if you had a magic wand is what we used. Uh, what do you imagine yourself uh, changing about yourself, um, like mm. physically? And it's a non-binary person. It's not 
a, a woman and it's not a man it's a person who has elements of each and i mean even ideally uh possibly both at the same time depending on or being able to ch change it over time because there's some people i know who are genderqueer or fluid as well who it's like it depends on how they feel that they feel masculine or feminine mm -hmm. or at different positions in the spectrum in between or mm -hmm. i don't know it's not really in between yeah it's like the there's like the nebula of um the sea of different gender expressions obviously but like i still do tend to visualize it as a between for myself. Mm -hmm. um, but I, that's just the way that my brain happens to work because I was raised when I was raised. Uh, the Gen Zers probably have a different way of thinking of it. That's way easier for them to process the differences between everybody. Right. And I know for me, like, I'm still kind of, I'm still learning, like, how I don't want to ever misgender somebody. And I feel like I, you know, before there was more awareness about it, I tend to, like, tended to do that, be like, oh, sir, ma'am, him there. And I just, I feel like I'm always, I'm scared to, to do that. Do you have any advice for people that are starting to learn and want to respect people that are, you know, want they, them pronouns and, and things like that? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, I can only really speak for myself, obviously. So some people who would, some people who are also non-binary might not like the things that I like and vice versa. But mm -hmm. so the best bet is to just, you know, ask and, and to care. Um, right. You don't, we, I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't want anyone to think that I'm speaking for anyone else, but I don't think anybody reasonable wants you to feel bad. Like mm -hmm. what they want is for themselves to be seen and understood and that's what everybody wants and so if you get something wrong it's not it's not like about that person hating you or being mad at you or anything about that necessarily mm -hmm. um unless you're like somebody who has been talked to about it a lot like if you're a parent that like if you're if my mom when i told her about my pronouns uh like two years later was still getting them wrong and not appearing to even make an effort then wow. that would be something that i would get mad about that's like but that's mm -hmm. like an extreme like a person on the street or that like a person who's making your coffee at a coffee shop like a barista um if you misgender them and they correct you like i wouldn't get super dramatic about like worrying about oh no i'm a terrible person because that's mm -hmm. sort of making it about you um the thing is like, oh, thank you for doing that. And to try to make a note to yourself, not to assume the uh, pronouns. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's hard. Like I misgender myself all the time. It's like I said, it's only been about a year and a half, maybe since I started using they, them. Um, wow. So I still screw it myself. But one of the things is like, just don't, don't make it a big dramatic thing. Like if you were to it's not the same thing as like asking a, a, a woman if she's pregnant, <laughs> um, right? which is also something that probably shouldn't be as offensive as it is, but you know, body shaming and all that is another society thing that people have feelings about. Um, but yeah, I, I would say if it's, I, I use they, them for anybody who I haven't explicitly known what their pronouns are. And that's an mm -hmm. assumption on my part. Um, mm -hmm. there's people who use neo pronouns like Z and all that kind of stuff. 
Uh, so even a person who is non-binary and doesn't want he or she doesn't necessarily want they either. So just ask <laughs> and, <laughs> and provide your own as well. Like even if you're cis, that's one of the things that we do at Gap um, is that we have the pronouns for everybody displayed on their, on their Zoom profiles and their email signatures and stuff like that. Um, just sort of inviting that uh, conversation of like, yes, we don't presume what people's pronouns are, even if they're cis, mm -hmm. um, even if we think they're cis, or even if they are like telling us that they're cis. Um, displaying your pronoun as a cis person is also sort of showing uh, with low effort uh, that you are aware that people have, you know, differences of how they want to be talked to. It's the desire and the compassion to know and to provide respect for that person. It's like the bare minimum you can you can offer people, but it's so important, right? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't I don't want to inflate its importance so yeah. much for every day to day thing. Like I said, like the barista situation where it's just a person that you run into maybe possibly just once in your whole life. Um, but definitely for friends and family and people you see all the time, coworkers. Um, I find it's especially important when people are introducing me. Um, like mm -hmm. I have a problem with my my boss uh, who I've been working with for years. So he's definitely known me when I was using he, him and got used to that for a long time. It's understandable. It's taken him a while, but occasionally he still slips and uh, introduces me to a new employee as, as he, and that kind of irks me, but he's trying. Um, <clears throat> but when you're talking about me, when, when someone's talking about me in the third person, like as if uh, w w with other people around, that's when uh, I really prefer it because that's usually when pronouns are most necessary anyway. Um, it's, it's, I surprise myself how often I have to use pronouns in my own speech about myself because mm -hmm. not never, but it's definitely more often when you're talking about someone who's not around. Do you have any advice for like, I know that, you know, there's children out there that are, you know, finding themselves and, and want to learn more about themselves and people that want to change their pronouns or want to go that route. Do you have any, but, you know, words of advice for people that are kind of just beginning this journey? Uh, just, I think that a big thing that, um, a big thing that people talk about is like, oh, I live in this, uh, part of the country where there's not a lot of black people, for example. And how do I show my white kid like that black people are just like us and that like, you know, I don't make it this kid like be this weird secluded person that's never met a black person until they go to college type thing. And it's like, well, you just you have to. <laughs> I don't know, you have to have an online friend that's a black person or you have to travel or you have to you just have to expose yourself and your kid to people who are like that and want to be exposed to your kid. Um, and until you can do that, you have to embody what you want your kid to be like. You have to set a good example yourself as like not making assumptions about people, not accepting stereotypes and, um, mm -hmm. you know, and asking people before you make assumptions about them in general, I guess is important. Like I, I obviously can't speak for black people. I'm just, I'm just a white person who has family members that are raising kids that I'm the uncle to. That's the other thing right. is there's no, there's, there is no, no gender term for uncle or aunt that I have found so far. So I just, mm -hmm. 
I just still use uncle. So there's just things about yeah. language in general that are incompatible. <laughs> and I don't want to <laughs> make up new words if I don't have to. I absolutely appreciate you talking about this. And I think that it, it is very important. And I know that growing up, you, I mean, you, you've tell you've mentioned that you kind of dealt with health issues and mental health. Um, do you want to share your story about that as well? Uh, sure. The, the DSM uh, used to consider homosexuality and still does consider gender dysphoria to be like a, a mental health disorder. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't generally care what the DSM says. Uh, it's, it's all just people deciding what's normal and what's not and de debating academically the existence of others in a lot of ways. Uh, and that was true for depression not that long ago. Like when I was a kid, depression was just sort of a new concept. Um, people were debating whether soldiers coming back from World War I had PTSD and if that was real. And it's so obviously wow. real to us, right? So right. there's a lot of things that um, whether they have labels or not are like it kind of decides whether or not society is going to make the make itself um i'm not gonna say palatable but like usable for you um mm -hmm. and i've had a lot of t time throughout my life to try to figure out why i feel so different from other people um one of those things was my gender but another was uh depression was having an outlook where i have a very hard time not seeing the bad in the world, uh, especially when it's like right in front of me and other people seem to be ignoring it. That is something that I'm told that my autism also plays into that, uh, that it's hard mm -hmm. to, it's hard to look past uh, obvious like injustice apparently for autistic folks and to not say anything about it. Um, when things don't make sense, uh, we have a hard time, or at least I have a hard time um, pretending that they do make sense while others just seem to go with the flow a lot easier. Wow. Um, how long have you known that you've been having to deal with autism and depression? Like, has it been all of your life or was there like moments that you just kind of clicked for you or anything? Um, I, my first, uh, my first suicide attempt was when I was a, a teenager, like an early teenager. I think I was 13 or so. Um, and that was the first time when anybody else showed any kind of interest in me being possibly depressed, but I yeah. didn't really have resources. Uh, we didn't have money for therapy, like insurance didn't really cover that kind of stuff, at least not our insurance when I was a kid. Um, the only time I went to a therapist was when my parents told me they were getting divorced. And I think I went for like three sessions and it didn't really do anything. Um, mm -hmm. so we stopped. It wasn't until I was in my late twenties when I actually had health insurance consistently, because like I said, I was trying to, I was traveling the country, going job to job for a long time. And a lot of those jobs don't pay very well and don't have good insurance or anything. I was living in right to work States for par a large parts of it, like Arizona and Nevada and, um, even Maryland has some compared to California, they're all pretty awful places to work. Um, yeah. 
so I didn't re really get to have a diagnosis for depression until I was in my late twenties. And that's when a lot of things dawned on me. I also learned about the seasonal effects that I get mm -hmm. in the winter time that make it worse that are starting now. Uh, October is usually when they begin. Um, another reason I love San Francisco, uh, is right. because <laughs> the seasons aren't quite as heinous to each other. Um, like the winter is not as awful here as it is in New Jersey or Maryland. <laughs> um, so yeah, I didn't really know language for a lot of these things at, until later, but I've definitely been experiencing them my entire life. Um, when you did your, your episode, I, I think it was the last episode uh, before you were recording this one. Uh, it was about some of the ways that you cope with those feelings like you can't go on. Um, right. And I liked that. Uh, there was a lot of stuff in there that I definitely found some relation to. Um, the, mm -hmm. the list of things you do to kind of ground yourself back in a place where you feel like you can persevere uh, resonated with me. I have a list of those kinds of things too, but I never really thought about them as depression-based. Those were for me to get through an anxiety attack. Mm. Um, and then it turned out that like, oh, my depression creates anxiety attacks all the time. And that's what it really, and, that, and it's actually doing something to go to the root cause for me to take on these things that I do for coping with it. Um, wow. And you mentioned a lot of these affirmations that you tell yourself, um, mm -hmm. that that's something you have like mantras, I guess I would call them. Um, and I, I don't have, those don't tend to work on me. Um, mm -hmm. I have a very hard time with um, looking at myself and talking to myself in that way. Uh, it's It all sort of feels like uh, the Stuart Smalley kind of joke about the I'm good enough and I'm smart enough. <laughs> yep. Gosh darn it, people like me. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it feels... Um, I don't know. It feels a little fake to me because I, like I said, I can't really escape my, 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 my ability to see the world as it is. The, the mm -hmm. way, the route that I go uh, is absurdist is the idea that, you know, we, the world is absolutely insane and it wants to pretend that it's normal and that I'm insane. And that's not the case. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. the, the world, the way it's set up, has all of these perverse incentives that make people into narcissists, that make people have to do things that are awful to each other so that they can survive. And it's just sort of mm -hmm. built that way. Um, generations and generations of humans in power have shaped the world in this way to make us all kind of act like they do. Um, and that's not the normal state of things and the normal state of things changes every week it changes especially lately it, the last several years have felt like every time you look on any anywhere outside of your own block you see so everything is changing drastically uh lately it's been inflation and covid and uh dealing with all the political unrest and the russian war and all of that kind of stuff but it's always been something that changes all the rules all the time. And we're all just sort of trying to tread water. Um, and I used to think that I was the only one that had to do that water treading because people have this thing where they fake that everything's fine. Yeah. Um, and they just repress all their feelings and, you know, or they have this just world 
fallacy in their minds of like, oh, people are homeless because they did something wrong, or people are sick because they didn't take precautions, or you know, they they, they always find a way to victim blame. Uh, and I I don't see it that way. I see it as survivor bias. Um, mm. The, yeah. pe the people who don't think there's any there's anything wrong are the ones who are just lucky and really want to believe that they earned that luck. Mm. Wow, that's powerful. <laughs> yeah, it, it's <laughs> again, I, I don't I don't tell other people how they should believe. It's just the things that have gone through my cynical mind and have made me feel like I'm not alone. And I think that it's it's beautiful that you have your own outlook in your own way of viewing the world. I think that's what makes you, you. And it's a nice to see other people's view of the world because I think everyone maybe probably thinks differently, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it's really refreshing for, for people that ha are going through autism and depression. Do you, you know, I know I talked a little bit about depression in my you know episode, but I would love to get your advice or any sort of tidbit of, information you could help out with people that are listening that may be dealing with this of like how do you like how do you hang on how do you get through it i mean uh if you can't make your own serotonin store-bought is fine is like one of the things obviously that we mm -hmm. we talk about is like if you have a chemical imbalance or not an Im again an imbalance is normalizing the way other people are when you know you can you're your own person. You can center yourself as normal. Um, but a balance that you don't find comfort in. If you have a need to have more or less of something, then, you know, having whatever help that feels right for you is right for you. Uh, mm -hmm. Having to convince a doctor or medical industry or insurance uh, agent of that necess necessity is a whole other thing that shouldn't be necessary, but is and yeah get there however you can um be get yourself in a sustainable place where the thing that is at the root cause of what makes you feel the way you feel can be softened as much as you can um and after that because what i do i i don't take um i don't take uh hormones or steroids or painkillers generally i I have a very hard time uh, regulating the way I feel uh, when I'm taking a substance. So mm -hmm. I try to minimize how much I take and how strong it is. Uh, I do take medical marijuana uh, because it kind of hits all the bases that I need it to and it hits it in a way that's really soft uh, and it just sort of nudges me in a direction that's a little bit easier for me to cope from. Um, it, it, I, I've obviously I had marijuana before I was diagnosed with anything too, and I didn't know why I liked it. But then later, when I got diagnosis for all of my pain issues and my depression issues and for ADHD and stuff like that, um, it made a lot more sense why taking it makes me feel normal for me. <laughs> right. Um, so that's the first thing is like if you can actually affect your chemicals. I guess that's the first thing I would look for. And again, I, I do trust doctors and scientists and everything, but if it, if it doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel right. Ask for a second opinion, you know, change things up. You know, this better than anybody. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, exactly. Yeah. 
Um, and after thinking, that, I just think that you should be unapologetic about what makes you feel good. Um, you should love who you want to love. You should enjoy the hobbies that you want to enjoy, even if others think they're dumb or childish or whatever else. Um, and surround yourself with people who live in the same reality as you do. Um, people who don't tease you for liking video games or uh, for your fashion sense or you know, for having a hundred stuffed animals, whatever it is, like people who think that you're great the way you are, like Mr. Rogers. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you touched a little bit on chronic pain. How does chronic pain affect your, what's your kind of your personal journey with chronic pain? Uh, I got into a, um, a, a car accident in the uh, 2000s. Uh, I was working in Arizona and I was on my way back from meeting with a client as a graphic designer at the time, uh, majorly underpaid, no insurance, none of that stuff. And, uh, got into a car accident on the way back from meeting a client that wasn't my fault. And it messed up my neck and my spine, uh, tore a bunch of muscles in my, uh, uh, my shoulders. The way that my, uh, physical therapist told me to talk about it. It's like, you know, how Batman's cowl covers, kind of from shoulder to shoulder and sort of down to where your pectoral muscles begin and your lat muscles in your back are like, it's like Batman's cowl kind of where all of my muscles were torn and like a big ring around that from being sideswiped and my head whipping back and forth badly. Um, I didn't have insurance. I didn't have um, paid time off from work and mm -hmm. Your neck is pretty important uh, no matter what you're doing. <laughs> uh, even, <laughs> even with my job where I'm sitting at a desk all day working on, you know, at that time, Photoshop and uh, uh, Illustrator and stuff like that. And nowadays coding, it still prevents me from being able to sit still for very long. I have to do stretches regularly. I have to mm -hmm. take medication if I can. Um, and I have to uh, move around a lot. It's part of why Calby is so great for me is that he reminds me to take walks and no. breaks every now and then and get outside. Um, so that's what I have. I have a chronic, uh, like I said, neck and muscle and upper back mm -hmm. kind of problems that I, I deal with. And I didn't really manage that pain at all for a very long time. And, uh, my, my ex-wife, who I still talk to, uh, was with me from before I had the car accident, through all of the coping of that accident, up until the point where I finally started getting medical attention for it. And wow. taking my medical marijuana for pain for that was like the first thing that I really took for it. And mm -hmm. she always talked about how huge of a difference it was for my personality that mm. I was suddenly not just in pain all the time. Because I didn't even notice it. I I didn't realize how much I was hurting all the time until I had relief. Um, and taking those, uh, taking those, I, I take edibles because they last longer mm -hmm. and uh, I don't like inhaling things. Um, right. And so like taking a, a, a decently strong like CBD edible right uh, away kind of opened my eyes to what it was because before that marijuana to me was the crappy stuff in New Jersey when I was a teenager that barely worked and made me cough. And, you know, it was like the cheapest stuff you could probably get. That's, you know, 
completely dried out from coming arriving from South America or Mexico or something. <laughs> right. Um, so it didn't work the way that medical marijuana from California farms really works. Um, wow. And just experiencing that changed who I am. Um, not having pain made me more myself. Uh, a more I was able to be less depressed. I was able to mm. be. I made everything a little better. It's sort of a holistic, um, a holistic treatment in that way. Exactly. And I, I don't think people talk about it enough where like pain changes you. It can really change, you know, your personality because you're in pain. If you're in pain all of the time, it just, it, life can get so overwhelming. Yeah. You lose energy. You lose patience with people more quickly. And you don't even know why if it's something chronic like that. It's just, mm -hmm. you wake up like that and you go to sleep like that. And it's just one of those things where we don't know what our differences are with other people. Right. We don't have another have you, parallel version of ourselves to compare to, to compare to. Right. Have you had a hard time, like doctors listening to you? Have you had a lot of issues with that? Uh, more for mental health than for physical mm -hmm. health. As somebody who presents male and is white and generally it doesn't, seek medication for things even when i need it <laughs> because mm -hmm. i have i was raised with that toxic masculinity no i'll just walk it off i'm just gonna tough it out i'm gonna grin and bear it that's what that's what men do um i never really went in and said hey i need pen medication um even when i did so i think that that contributes to it and then also i don't have i have the benefit of all of the medical industry rotating around the idea of the white male being normative. Um, mm -hmm. I'm average height and now I'm average weight. I lost a lot of weight, but now I'm at average finally. Um, right. So people would either blame back then my weight for all of my problems and say, oh, you mm -hmm. just have to go to the gym more and you just have to eat better. And then, you know, your pain will solve itself kind of stuff. Right. Uh, so I guess in that way, some of it. Um, but like I said, like I, I moved around a lot too. So I got second opinions cause I had to, um, mm -hmm. I, I would go to a doctor in Maryland that would be like, Hey, why aren't you dealing with blank? And I'm like, Oh, my other doctor said there wasn't anything I could do about blank. Uh, mm -hmm. and then sometimes they would make up something so that they can make some money off of me. And then I'd realize later that I didn't need it. And so right. eh. there's like, there, there's, we talk about, um, friends of friends of mine and I, we talk about how helpful it is sometimes to have a quack doctor, <laughs> uh, <laughs> have one who you go to and just rubber stamps, whatever, you know, you need. Um, mm -hmm. sometimes that's really, really helpful, but mm -hmm. only, it's only really helpful if you know that that's what you're there for. <laughs> <laughs> um, other times you really do want the research doctor, the one who is actually going to figure out what the problem is. And like I said, I know you have a lot more experience with that mm -hmm. than I do. <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of wonderful doctors, but there's also a lot of doctors that don't listen to you. So it's kind of uh, hit or miss, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. The, the medical marijuana doctors, when I first arrived in San Francisco, were very often those quack doctors that are like, here, fill out the form. Here's a checklist of all the things that you could totally get pot for. Pick one, <laughs> um, you know? And yeah. while that is totally illegitimate and many people used it for uh, recreational use to just you know, and to avoid just going to jail because no one needs to go to jail for pot, obviously. Right. We finally even have a president who's a 70-year-old who probably isn't the person we thought was going to be the one who set people free for it. But like, 
just to not go to jail, you have to go through all these hoops. So that's when a quack is, yeah, sure. <laughs> let's let's do this. I know I need this. I know I, even, I just know I want this and I know that it's not harmful to me. Let me have mm -hmm. some freedom over my own body. Um, so I, I'm definitely grateful for those quacks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that it has helped you. I'm so happy to hear that, you know, it, it's helped your pain level. Yes. Um, it doesn't, again, it doesn't make it go away entirely. Um, I don't, I, I would have to take so much in order for it to go away entirely. And I really mm -hmm. don't want to because any pain medication uh, builds a tolerance, even ones that aren't addictive, like uh, marijuana or CBD, uh, they're habit forming and your body builds a tolerance to it. And I know a lot of people who uh, go, who take it for cancer. Um, and the reason I know them is because I go to the same dispensaries that they did uh, before it was legal is that we would just run into each other in the waiting area and chat mm -hmm. and all that. Um, and when things, uh, when, when there's certain edibles, for example, that were not really fully regulated yet to have accurate labels like they are now, which I'm grateful for, um, it was times where we all had to kind of share information about what was effective for us with each other and all that. Um, which is part of why I started my Instagram account that I haven't updated in like a year is I, I, I made an edible reviews Instagram account because I couldn't find any reviews for any of these brownies and cookies and things like that for how strong they were, what kind of uh, weed they were using and uh, what they were good for and if they made you sleepy or if they made you productive and all that kind of stuff. But nowadays we have a lot of that benefit and uh, a lot of consolidation happened because of that regulation too, sadly, which ran a lot of companies out of business that were making things that we liked before. Um, but that's kind of a tangent. Um, <laughs> the, I love it. The thing with the, the, the cancer patients that they were talking about was that there were people who were taking the, their, whatever their pain medication was until they didn't feel pain at all anymore. And then mm -hmm. now they needed to eat like two whole brownies in order to get through an afternoon. Mm. And eventually you get to the point where it just doesn't work anymore. Wow. And you either have to go cold turkey to try to reset your tolerance for like a month. And that's that can be unbearable for people. I know people who've killed themselves because they had to do that. Oh, my gosh. Um, <sighs> people who have really severe injuries that uh, their pain medication just stopped working. I also have a, a, a friend of a family that I, I'm going to give as little detail as possible about who they are, but they were a Vietnam vet. Uh, mm -hmm. And they were taking uh, opioid pain medication for for their chronic problems. Then they it just escalated to the point where nothing worked. Even heroin stopped working, um, and that they're they're not around anymore either. Yeah. <laughs> um, this I'm is so this is why I'm like extremely careful about microdosing as much as I can to take just enough that I can manage it and not feel none of it. Right. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss, you know, oh, and um, thank you. I think it's very smart that you're microdosing. I think that's very important as well. So we are going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're going to do some fun kind of nitty gritty questions of like who Corey is. So everyone stay tuned. It'll be about 30 seconds and we'll get right back to it. Welcome back to the Kimberly Elaine show. Thank you so much for hanging on for that commercial break. Uh, we got Corey on on the line and we're going to get to some nitty gritty questions. Are you ready, Corey? I hope so. All right, let's do this. One of the first questions I have for you is this. The listeners may not be aware 
but we met through an amazing person we have in common, Bethany, my very good friend and your partner. Shout out to you, Bethany. We love you. You have one of the most supportive and loving relationships I have ever seen. Would love for you to share what your love story is and has been like and any advice to listeners. Oh, okay. Um, well, Bethany and I have been together for about a year and a half. Um, I moved over here to the East Bay after uh, my previous relationship ended amicably. You know, we're still friends and everything. Um, and Bethany was the first person that I went on a date with after that relationship ended and after I moved um, and dealt with all of the, you know, figuring out moving and decoupling and all that kind of stuff. And we just hit it off very quickly. Um, it was kind of, it was kind of ridiculous right away how, how fast we got along. And a big part of it, I think, was uh, because both of us just sort of listened to each other. And I know that that's a cliche thing to say about any relationship thing. But when I say listen to each other, I don't mean just like, actively listen, nod your head, be able to repeat back stats back to the person after they say it kind of stuff. I mean, like we inhabit each other's reality. Um, when, when somebody feels crazy all the time, like I have, like some people consider crazy to be like a dirty word. Like I've had therapists that have said, we don't use that word and stuff like that. Um, but crazy is a word that everyone uses to other people. Um, things that other people would say that I am crazy for, um, but are things that are true and real and that I have experienced are things that when I've told Bethany about it, she's just been like, oh, okay, tell me about it. I want to mm. learn more. Um, and she's never like, people have those, uh, things where they can't even, where they can't, um, micro expressions, I don't know what it is, but there's times where some, you tell someone something and even when they're trying not to show their reaction to it, you can still see it. Yeah. Uh, and she's never even had those for me, um, which is really odd because I, I do say a lot of odd things to people. <laughs> mm. And I, I don't know what she would say, but I, I'd like to think that I do the same for her because we both just talk about everything, the, the deep, dark stuff the weird uh like kind of spiritual belief things that we have sometimes like all of the weird stuff that we think about we just sort of blurt out to each other and it just seems like without hesitation we both kind of live in each other's world mm. that's so beautiful the both of you are the most kind and respectful people that i've ever met and it's just an honor to watch your relationship and to be friends with you both i'm flattered thank you <laughs> yes okay I, I'm enjoying myself so it's it's <laughs> I, I think it's a good relationship too <laughs> oh, yay I love it <laughs> okay so the next question do you if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice what would it be uh this is hard we talked about this a little bit before um whenever I think about stuff that I would go back in time and do differently or tell my younger self, it's always one of those things where it's like, well, what if I tell myself something that changes my path and makes it worse? Mm, um, like yep. wh what if I went back to when I was a teenager and told myself I was non-binary and what that meant. And, you know, I'm here from the future and these are what the words on Wikipedia say now. Um, and then my younger self be like, what's Wikipedia? And it's a whole thing. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> that's and I'm aging myself a little or <laughs> right. um, but that's you know that's that's weird that's like changing the order in which I discover things about myself which could change me uh, and maybe that version of myself would go back in time and want to change it back for all I know um, so I always have a hard time answering it the other thing is like you always want to try to see if you can get yourself to avoid pain in the past, you know, something that hurt you. Um, maybe a relationship you had, or in my case, the car accident. It would be really great for me to know, hey, don't uh, don't go into that car accident. Don't go to that client meeting. Or when you're driving down that street, you know, take that other route so you don't get involved in this other accident that, you know, that could be great. But then at the same time, if I didn't get into that car accident, I wouldn't have lost that horrible job that fired me because I, because they could, um, because I couldn't show up because I was going to uh, physical rehab and I wouldn't have gotten a better job later because I had to. And I wouldn't have started taking a medication for pain that ended up also helping my depression. Um, and all these other things kind of happened. And I think that anybody who's in a place today where they're either somewhat, where they're at least somewhat happy, probably has a hard time thinking about going back and going changing back. anything. Mm. Yep. But those are the I ones that first came to my mind. <laughs> I love that because, yeah, you wouldn't be where you are with all the things that have happened to you. Mm -hmm. oh, and the journey you. to get there. Exactly. Even exactly. if it's painful. People, yeah, like you said, people do want to avoid pain. I was just thinking, like, what would I do? And I'm like, yeah, it's avoiding pain. And I'm like, ah, he called me out on it. <laughs> you know, so definitely understand that one. Is Okay, so I like to ask the question, if you were granted three wishes, do you know what yours would be? I absolutely know what my first one is because I went to a... One of the times when I went to Japan, there's a shrine in Nikko. It's beautiful. If you're ever in Nikko, definitely check out the Shogu. I think it's, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. It's like, but it's like the biggest temple in that area of Japan. And if you climb, you know, hundreds of stairs and put in the work, you get to the grave of uh, an emperor up there. Uh, I don't remember what the emperor's name was, but I probably would mispronounce that one too. Um, and there's a giant tree there that's like a thousand years old um, that I think was planted when he died, if I remember correctly. I'm kind of touristy uh, remembering this out. So just look it up if you're interested at the Toshogu Shrine in Nikko, Japan. Uh, but you're supposed to make a wish at that tree. Um, and then the I believe the spirit of the emperor is the what's going to grant it to you. And as I was walking up the stairs and thinking about it, we were going with a friend of mine who lives in Japan. So she was showing us around and telling us all this stuff. Like as we were going, we had a, we were lucky to have a tour guide. Um, and she was telling me beforehand that there was going to be a wish at the end. So I should think about what it is while I'm walking up all these stairs and everything. Um, and when I got there, the thing that I thought of, and ever since this is years ago that I've, that I went, uh, I, I, I still, I'm grateful that that was the wish I chose is uh, I want a peaceful death mm. because anything that I do now, I can kind of do fearlessly if I can rely on that. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like no matter when it is, I don't need it to be a hundred years from now. I don't need it. I, don't, I hope it's not tomorrow. 
um, if I know that it's going to be peaceful, you know, painless, hopefully, uh, and without regret, then that there's really nothing else that I want. So that's that's definitely my first wish, I guess. Um, that's a beautiful wish. Yeah, and then after that, once I can count on that, I feel like I can just have some fun. <laughs> so my second wish, uh, this is what I was thinking of, uh, at least before, is like I, I always wanted to be able to change form, to shapeshift. Um, that's part of being non-binary, I guess, is the idea that I can not just change myself to be to look the way I feel inside, but to also change it and try different things. Um, there's this book I read uh, by, I, I think is it's pronounced Ian, Ian Banks, uh, called The Player of Games that I really loved that takes place in this world, this futuristic uh, other world where uh, we have so much control over our bodies and we have basically kind of like a software inside of us that lets us change our gender We're pretty much at will uh, is one of the things that they talk about in the books um and that just fascinates me like the ability to try different things to see what it's like to live a different way and kind of grow empathy for other people who are like that it's really fascinating to me i love that one that's i these are such cool like cool ones i've never heard before when i've interviewed people i'm like this is exciting <laughs> good <laughs> i'm glad uh and then my third one is I think I decided that this was going to be my activism one of like, I want to change the world for the better. Um, and I've, I've had this idea of a superpower that I could have that would help things. And when I was a kid, that superpower was, you know, Marshall. It was me being able to win wars for the side that I thought was the right side and stuff like that. Um, it was like having magical powers or whatever else. And my life has shown me that that doesn't do anything. That doesn't actually show anything being right um the thing that i've been thinking of later on in my adult life about how to what kind of wish that would be would be i would like to do to have the ability to show one person the perspective of another person like to give them i don't know about all of the memories of the person but to basically have them live the life of another person instantaneously and all of the trauma and all of the happiness and all of the joy and all of the things that are the same and all of the things that are different about that person. And I would want to do that myself. Uh, I would want to feel that for other people that I'm close to so I can understand other people and through them understand myself. Um, but at the same time, I would like to be able to do that to others as well or for others as well, depending on the situation. Like there's situations where I'm like, Hey, Vladimir Putin, how about you see what it's like to be somebody who your soldiers are attacking right now um, mm -hmm. to see what it's like to be the Westerners that you're acting like they're, uh, you know, the devil or, or, hey, rich person, see what it's like to be a poor person in the country that you're living in and that you're voting for and uh, lobbying for all these policies that hurt them all the time. See what it's like to be the thing that you call a welfare queen, for example, or or even for myself to be like, I'm not necessarily right about things. Let, show me what it's like to be uh, that, that person who believes everything I don't believe. 
and what they had to go through to get there. And would I still have like the same things if I had been there? What a different world it would be if we could do that, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, it would be kind of like a hive mind situation at some point. But I think that there's, obviously, if I have that power, then I get to use my agenda to decide when I use it and how. Um, so I'm still exercising my own power and my own authority over it. So there's still some flaws to it. Um, um, I don't think I'd be fully satisfied with whatever I did just because I was the only one deciding it. Exactly. Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing your wishes. <laughs> the last question that I have for you is where can listeners find you and do you have any social media that you want to mention? Oh, um, sure. Um, well, I have my blog. blog. <laughs> uh, yeah, my website is just Corey.us and my first name is spelled weird. It's C-O-R-R-Y. So you should be able to just go to Corey.us and get there. Uh, my last name's really hard to spell, so I got that shortened URL for it. Um, but I am Corey Frittlewitz, uh, C-O-R-R-Y-F-R-Y-D-L-E-W-I-C-Z. And using that, you can pretty much either Google me or find me on any social media I'm on and connect with me there. I'll just say that if I don't know you already, and if we don't have any mutual connections, uh, send me a message so I know that you're not like a spam person trying to send me to, you know, a pyramid scheme or something. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on my podcast. It was wonderful to interview you. And thank you. I just want to say thank you so much. It's been an honor. Thank you. I really enjoy your podcast. I hope that my episode is as interesting as the other ones I've heard are. And I hope you keep it up. Aww, thank Subscribe you so to much. her Patreon, guys. <laughs> yes, you got you told me to you guys you and Bethany told me to start a Patreon, so I did. So I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get those sustaining donations in, people. The content will just keep getting better. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll link your social media in the show notes. And I hope you have a wonderful day, Corey. Thanks. I hope you do too. Thank you again for having me. You're welcome. Have a good day. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you for joining me in this week's episode of The Kimberly Elaine Show. For more information found in this episode, please refer to the show notes. You can get your fix every week by subscribing to the podcast. As always, if you have any questions or would like to be featured on the show, send me an email at thekimberlyelaineshow at gmail.com. That is thekimberlyelaineshow at gmail.com. Until next time, have an amazing day. And don't forget above all else, you matter to this world and your story deserves to be heard.